You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open up space in our life to hear from you and to have what you say germinate in our lives, uh, we know that what you're doing whenever we're invited here is leading us into green pastures, leading us beside still waters, teaching us how to walk through all the various valleys of the shadow of death that we face daily and in our life. And so I pray that you would enrich your people with the clearness and the brightness of your word, that you would wash over us, that you would bring times of refreshing into our moment. And that what we do here would serve to teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves better by the time we leave than when we walked in. In your holy name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So Jacqueline and I, obviously, we, we wanna we have things we want to say. We'll break halfway through and have breakfast. Um, but we also want, like the way we set these meetings up is we don't have to get through any any bit of information. So once we start talking, once you know, the ideas of what we're saying start to hit the room, talk, share opinions, give us your thoughts, ask questions, and we will, you know, work together to let the conversation go where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Here's our plan, but with all of us together, let's let the Holy Spirit kind of direct our path. And so if we find that we fixate on something or a topic comes up amongst us, please literally shoot your hand up. If we start to move on too quickly, yell out that you have a question. Let's make this really casual, big living room, and uh, let's let's do this work together. So it's not just like us talking, but let's have conversations with each other. This topic of discernment in a world where we have massive quantities of information coming at us from our own couch. We can sit on the couch, and we can access anything that the world has to offer, and I'm not 100% sure... That is a good thing. Does anybody remember when phones used to be on walls? Does anybody have that grandmother that had that cord that could like choke eight people? Yeah, and reach three rooms away. You know, there was something there was something to be said about when you needed to answer the phone, you had to get up and walk across a room. There's something to be said about when you needed a piece of information, you had to go to a place in your house and there was a cord that didn't let you go wherever you wanted. Uh, I think there's something decidedly dangerous about the fact that we can stay on a couch and do our whole life all at the same time without having to move. And so uh, a little a little thought would be, just a quick practice before we get into our first uh, funny video here, a, a, an interesting freebie for you just to wet the palate would be, for a week, pick a public room in your house, like the kitchen, like a living room, plug your phone into the wall. Turn your phone on, not on vibrate, turn it on, and for one week, only use it where that cord, as far as that cord will let you walk, and don't take it out of that room. Like, have to go to your phone. See how often you decide not to turn your phone on when you have to get up, when you have to move this far to go get it. It could be an interesting practice to say, this is where the phone goes, like in the old days. And like I said to somebody yesterday, don't buy one of those like gas station 38-foot charging cords. <laughs> Use the annoying Apple one, right? And, and just for, for one week, 
see what changes in your life when you can use it when, whenever you want to use it, but you have to use it in that room with that distance to walk around with. Just see what changes for one week. If you don't want to do it, you're dead to me. It's perfectly fine. So <laughs> we, I, I made a commitment to the men years ago. Every single time we get together, I'm going to show an office clip from, from the greatest boss on planet Earth, Michael Gary Scott. And so this is a clip for us uh, regarding discernment. Ian, can you hit the lights over there? Michael and Dwight are driving in the car, and Michael has a device on that's telling him what to do, and here's what happens. Proceed straight. Well, we're out for six. Last chance is the owner's country club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. No, I get it. really don't get it. How much work? Do everything ahead of that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything. Falls apart and eventually you die and no one remembers you. Very good point. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. It means bear right. No, there. It said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Like, right. It was sure. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. You can't mean that. There's a right thing. It knows where it's going. The machine. The There are so many times as pastors, and I'm sure as parents, or maybe just even with your friends, somebody in your life is listening to information and you're like, don't go that way, there's a lake. And they're like, no, 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 I can go this way. I saw it on YouTube or I heard it on the news. Like, we're going to make this decision. We're going to make this financial choice. And you're like, there's a lake. How can you not see this? And they go. And maybe you've done it. I know I've done it. And so we want to talk about what does it mean to have primary sources that help us govern the secondary sources that we listen to on a regular basis. Um, I'm going to start with one story from Scripture, and then Jacqueline will read another story from Scripture. So I'll read 2 Samuel, and then you can read 1 Kings. Mm -hmm. This is 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 11. We're going to go through a bunch of Scripture here. Discernment. Oh, no, whoop, 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 whoop. 
Just kidding. We're going to read the verses first, okay? But I'll just read them. You don't even need to put them up there. Now when the kings lived, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, and this is David, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, this is maybe the most dangerous thing you can say to somebody, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Go do all that is in your heart. Just never say that to somebody. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So go do all that is in your heart. God says to Nathan, don't tell him that ever again. Here's what I want you to tell him. And then years and years and years later, here's David's son Solomon having a similar conversation with the Lord. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on this throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, 
both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And then finally, uh, Matthew 12, verse 42, Jesus says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. We'll start with this quote. Charles Spurgeon said this, Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. That's what trips us up. Right and wrong is easy. Right and almost right is what trips us up. And that's why we need discernment, right? Whether you, you want to call it the world, the flesh, or the devil, we will always, most of the time, be tripped up receiving information and listening to information that is almost right, but just a hair off. As C.S. Lewis said, the worst thing is for four ships traveling in the same direction to not be 10 degrees off, but be one degree off, because it will take them way too long to realize that they're heading in different directions. And so, somebody have a question already? Excited. I'll go. Yes, that's great. Let's try to keep this as simple as we can. So, first of all, what are the types of sources that we have in our life? Let me just shoot through all this. Sorry. And here we go. Types of sources. This is this is stuff we all know. I just wanna we just wanna set the table here. We have entertainment and music. These are sources of information, just so everybody knows. Music is a source of information that we make decisions off of, whether we notice it or not. Professionals and specialists. Anybody been to the doctor, physical therapy, financial advisor, Larry Johnson, anybody like that? Google is not a professional or a specialist. <laughs> Spiritual, self-care. Uh, you guys are here now, so you understand the spiritual one. Medical and healthcare, personal and social sources, like you are a source for the person sitting next to you every day. We're sources for each other. This may actually be the number one place that we get information from is just each other, living in the presence of other people. Business and financial, consumer and aesthetic, you know, it's fall time, you walk into Home Goods and you start to hate your house because it's decorated perfectly at Home Goods, and you're like, I just want to buy this and just bring it to my house with this lighting and everything else that they have there. For free, of course. And then news and news oriented information. These are just some examples of the kinds of sources. And the main thing Jacqueline and I wanted you to get just from seeing this list isn't like we're telling you something you don't know. It's just look at that list and try to think of a moment when you're not in the presence of one of those things. There's a good possibility we're often, like right now, at the very least, we're in the presence of spiritual self-care, personal and social. We just listened to music. We just watched a show on TV. So in a very, very short amount of time, we hit four or five different pieces of information. Like, when are you not 
in the presence of one or two or three, maybe five. So there's voices. And when you're not, their effects are lingering. Oh, yes. On your spirit and yes. on your mind and how you view the world. Just think about the last ten things you think about before you fall asleep. No one has to say them out loud. It's perfectly fine. But the la- you know when you get into that moment where you're kind of dreaming and kind of awake? Like, those are like the lingering thoughts, like the way your body's processing the day. I mean, you know, Sunday night when I went to bed, I was depressed because the entertainment I thought I was going to watch was a, what I thought was going to be a football game. I didn't know that it was, we were watching a live Dallas Cowboys practice. The next night made me feel a lot better, but I guess, you know, if you're a Jets fan, this will hit, you know, it's possible that social media is the Achilles heel. Too soon? Is it too soon? How do we interact with these sources? We interact with all these sources through internet and social media, social networks, culture, and society, and then tangible items and things that are delivered to us. And again, it's good for us to think about the obvious. It is Jesus saying, consider the lilies of the field. Right? Consider the types of information that are around us all the time, and consider, and, and you could probably, everybody here could add three or four or five different items, but these are general pathways. Tangible could be books and things like that. These are general pathways for how this information gets to us. It's getting to us constantly. It's getting to us 24-7, and many of us, including me on many nights, fall prey to, you know, Maybe on the positive end, I fall asleep listening to preachers all night. Let's talk about that one day privately between us. And then we fall asleep watching movies. We fall asleep listening to podcasts. Like We have to start to just not make major changes tomorrow, but just ask yourself the question I always make us ask. When God chose to come and reveal himself, he came in the fullness of time, right? Why did he come? Why is the fullness of time a time where it took a very long while to get information from point A to point B? Why did he come at a time when you had to wait for things to grow in order to have them? Why did he come at a time when, according to our standards, life moved one one one-hundredth of the speed that it moves at now? It's not just what Jesus says. It's the time that God illuminated as the fullness of time to see him. So it's not just Jesus, but it's his backdrop that God really wants us to see as a revelation. Why did the word of God come at a time when information moved slow? Where you had to trust people in your community with information. When getting information was generally a communal thing in the town square, not a private thing on the toilet. No one else doom scrolls in the bathroom? Don't even try to act like I'm the only one. You ever go on Instagram late at night just to see who on your list is on? I see you. I see some of you. But then you see me. 
keep it to ourselves, huh? <laughs> Anything so far? Keep it moving. Yeah. I mean, you have to have awareness before discernment, right? So you can't be thinking about whether something is a healthy source or an unhealthy source if you're not even aware of what that you're receiving from a source. And yes. I think very often, especially, you know, when you're going about your day and things are just normal routine, you know, a lot of times you'll drive to work and not really think about your drive to work. It's just automatic, right? And then, you know, you're, you're making breakfast and it's the same breakfast or similar breakfast. You're not really thinking about what you're doing. But I think that when we are interacting with a lot of these sources that we are not aware of that either. There, like there's no awareness that we're receiving something. It's kind of just a look, agree or disagree immediately and then move on. There's no like second thought after the first glimpse of it. So I think that being aware that there are sources and a lot of them are, are giving very subtle messages that have a lasting impact um, I think that that awareness is important before you can start discernment. Yeah, that's, I mean, and this is like, we could, we won't, but we could close right here. We could all leave. Like those obvious slides that we just showed that everybody here knows that's like first grade level. Here's different ways we get information. Of course we know that. And here's ways that we access that information. Of course we know that. But what Jacqueline is suggesting is that if we get so used to that, that it takes major breaking moments for us to focus on the fact that we're receiving information, we will not realize that we were digesting for three hours before from waking up to getting to work, all kinds of information that's already forming our day. And if we're not aware that that's happening, some other stuff is already making decisions for us before we start making our first decision. Like Steve Harvey said, you know, if you live on the West Coast, you got to get up at five o'clock in the morning. Because if you get up at nine, the world's been making financial decisions for you for the last three hours. And that's a good point. That's a good point. He's aware of ge his geographical location. He's aware of what runs the financial institutions of the country. He's saying, I got to wake up when they wake up. Because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be behind the eight ball. And I think it's the same for us. When, when you, <laughs> Siri's a good listener. She's listening to everything. I hope everybody listens and asks as many questions as Siri asks. This simple part about sources, it's great to listen to motivational speakers, preachers, positive information, solid podcasts, financial podcasts. But here's the thing. There's nothing besides air that you should keep ingesting all the time without stopping. Like this idea that if we heap up a bunch of positive voices that that's super healthy, it's not. It's not. It's healthy to listen to one thing and think about that thing all day long without other things messing with it. That's healthy. But to just pile on sources, to pile on music to pile on podcasts, like that little button now that lets us listen to it in double speed. They know, they know who we are. I'm going to listen to double the amount of podcasts. I'm going to get all this information. As Pastor Mark Arsted recently said, the world has finally proven 
that a lot of information does not equal a lot of virtue. We've proven this. So we all need primary sources that are under the influence of the Holy Spirit to help us navigate the secondary sources. So what are primary sources? Primary sources are people who are professional and present. So your best friend, when you're planning on moving, who's not a real estate agent, not a financial analyst, not a pastor, they might be a nice secondary source for you, but if they're like, hey, go do all that is in your heart, they might just not be the person you need to anchor all the other information you're getting. So it's vital that we have primary sources that help us navigate all the oodles of information we're receiving. And primary sources should be people who are professional and physically present. I had uh, a friend of mine is making a lot of decisions and his financial understanding is coming from really, really healthy financial gurus on TED Talks. That's great, but that's a secondary source because that dude is not responsible for your life. They have no skin in the game in your life. A primary source will help you take that really good, healthy information and apply it to your life in the season and moment that you're in. If we're just letting secondary sources become primary sources, we're going to be led astray by algorithms and the desires of our hearts that, as we see in the David story, turns out isn't the desire of God's. So David was not autonomous. David sees that his house is really nice and there isn't a house for God. We don't know the backdrop. We can be playful with it. Maybe in all of his conquests, when he was conquering all these other kingdoms, David noticed, man, every deity has this beautiful house. Maybe some of his servants were like, hey, you know, your house is really dope. Is God's? Maybe, you know, he's, his other friends who are kings, like the Queen of Sheba, right? He's realizing, man, they not only have nice houses, but even for their gods, they make really nice houses. So he probably has sources influencing him to say, I want to build a house for God. Is this a bad thing? No. And he, but then he goes to a person who's present and professional. I want to build God a house. Nathan, what do you think? Nathan's like, do all that is in your heart. And immediately God's like, he could do all that is in his heart, but what he wants to do isn't all that is in mine. And David had a primary source, listen to this, who gave him advice, heard from God, pivoted on that advice, put his ego aside, went back to David and said, we have to pivot. We need primary sources who will do that. Not only that will help us either confirm or pivot, but also will pray with us, join it with us, and pivot along with us. So it's not about how accurate is the professional. It's about how good is the professional at investigating things. I, I had those two foot surgeries the last two years, and watching these surgeons decide what I needed, there were times where they, I left an appointment saying, okay, this is what I need. And then they would say, hey, listen, you know, I got home, 
Dr. Levine from Hospital for Special Surgery, I got home, I re-looked at your x-rays. I think we might need to do this subtle difference. And I'm over here like, bro, you went home and looked, I went home and played Madden. You went home and looked at the x-rays again? Here's my money. Here's my foot. I love you. Thank you. That's an, like, that made me feel good that he pivoted. Right? Because this, this is my livelihood. And so that's a professional source. Secondary sources. I tried to rhyme things. <laughs> Secondary source. Jacqueline gets so annoyed with it. That's why I did it. Secondary sources must be brought before you can be taught. Bring a secondary source to a primary source. Offer it before you adhere to it. Get it in a conversation. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Anything? Go ahead. All right. And as we said, primary sources must be personal, professional, and also, and I just added this one for the slide, responsible. We need to start trusting people that are actually willing to take responsibility for our lives. There are so many people in our life that will give us quality information, but if they're not willing to go on the journey with me, you're a secondary source. And secondary sources aren't bad, but a primary source is somebody who's going to walk with me through the advice they gave. Like one of the rules that Jacqueline and I follow when we preach, when we talk is, we won't say it if we're not willing to pastor the results of saying it for the next five years. And so whatever we say, we have made a commitment to her. This, this idea, this topic, this statement is going to ripple through the church when we say it. Are we willing to pastor it for the next five years? If we're not, maybe it's for a different time. Because we need to be primary spiritual sources for you. And the way we do that is by letting you know we will walk through it with you. Not just say it and then be warm and filled, but we're on this journey with you. What happens when the primary source has an emotional attachment to the individual? Is that good or bad? Take, for instance, I bring it down to our grandparents. We love our grandchildren, and they come to us for advice many times. How do you stop that? Because we want we want everything for them, and maybe the advice is all tinted by this uh, emotional or actual uh, love for them. What do you think? Did everybody hear that question? Yeah. I love this question. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think that um, healthy primary sources are ones that are in community with other people and also have primary sources. So I think that. If you are going to be a source to someone that you love, that you should do your due diligence to also be talking with people that are responsible for you and uh, that God's placed in your life to be able to speak into your life. So I think the real danger is saying something from your heart, like the text said, like do everything in your heart. The real danger is just speaking only from your heart and not having like a system of checks and balances where you have like a support group around you. Like who is your support team? Who are the people that care about you, 
that um, pray for you, right? That uh, have that do education, right? Like your your doctor. So all of those people are your support team, and your primary sources should also have your support team. So, you know, we're pastors, but we also have a whole support team around us of other pastors and bishops. And we talk to nurses in the church about COVID and, you know, things like that, because we need to have that around us too. The unhealthy sources will just say, I have a thought, or I, I just think this. And then, so on, on the front end, you have to have your sources too. But on the back end, the person who's asking their grandparent for advice, if you're the only person they're asking, they're manipulating you. If, if, somebody, if somebody knows, if I know that Ron has an emotional attachment to me because he just cannot get enough of me, <laughs> and I just helped him with something, and he's just like, yo, I will do whatever you need. And I go to Ron and ask him for some advice where I'm hoping for an answer. And Ron gives me the answer I'm hoping for. If I knew that he was in this season of having like an emotional attack, feeling like he owes me a favor, and he's the only one I go to, I just manipulated Ron. So those people asking you, like, you, you should ask your grandparents, yes, but they also should be asking other people knowing that you have an emotional attachment to them. So we could play people easily. Every one of us knows that we have a person in our life that will immediately give us the answer we want. And we start cherry-picking which group we go to when we want an answer, pretending that that's a confirmation. Yeah. It has to be someone that is willing to challenge you. Like, they care enough about you to challenge your opinions on things. Yes. And you have the relationship, so you, they know that they can say that without you just, you know, rejecting them and leaving. Yes. Like, when I need uh, affirmation, I say, Mom, how was that sermon today? <laughs> when I want to get better at my job, I say, Jacqueline, how was that sermon today? <laughs> Claire, boom, boom. So, Claire first. Um, I know with, with my, I watch a lot of my grandchildren, and um, with one of, uh, one of the families, I would see my son, who was, had these very different ideas about raising his kids. And... Um, I watched them, so I was seeing differences in the way that they behaved, whatever. So I discussed it with him. Rather than, and I didn't, and I, actually because of all the wonderful times you told us, we need to listen. I listened to what he said. <laughs> and, um, and I said, okay, I'll go along with this as well as I can. Then you need to make sure from your end that he's acting this way and that, you know, respectful of me when I do what you said. But it was, it was a time where I was, like, very frustrated, and I wanted to say to him, what is your problem? <laughs> Why are you doing this? And it was really a time where I, I just backed off a little bit and said, how can, how can I work this out with you? And um, many times we had to talk about it privately, or he said he would come and take care of things. And it, um, I think it worked out well, but it was a thing where I knew that I couldn't just take my ideas Mm. and make them happen because he's their parents. <laughs> he's their parent. That's just, that's, that's you walking in wisdom. Just a lot of wisdom and also strength. Like we think strength is in getting them to do something. Strength is in often in restraining what we want to say to let other people be free. So I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, maybe I'm just getting a little personal because I know the dynamics of our family. Um, 
but our also, family now. Our family. Yes. <laughs> um, what I'm thinking is too knowing knowing the source, the primary professional peasant source, and the person coming to that source. I feel in this situation, okay, so like I agree to what you're saying, but some, sometimes in different situations as this, they're coming because they do not have any other source. They yeah. see it as someone that's really investing in their lives personally, that they're not coming to manipulate a situation in their lives. They're coming because they're hungering for direction. Yeah. They're hungering for, you know, discernment. They yeah. really are because any other source that they would want to go to, those are not the primary sources. Sure. So, and that's, not patting on the back. Uh, just no, and I mean these are these are like great points to bring up. So, like as a general rule, as a general rule, you want to say to somebody, if you're living a healthy life, you have multiple sources. If you're in a situation where you don't, and you go to somebody like I go to my brother and say, hey man, you get me. I'm only going to run this by you. I don't want to say this to many other people. The person who you're asking, emotional attachment or not, you get to be yourself. They're asking you, so be you. And let the Holy Spirit work that out. Like, and it's good, to, it's good to know this isn't one of those times where we maybe even want them going to a bunch of other things. We want them coming here. And we want, we want our emotional attachment to them to be the goodness that they get. That's just perfectly fine. Like you, you can't ever expect me or Jacqueline to offer advice and not have it be connected to our emotional attachment to you. Right. We love you. This is the only way we can talk to you. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. Well, that's the energy. Yep, back here. Yeah. Yes, I'm getting to you. Yes. Okay. Um, um, I find it a little uh, hard to accept that the person, that, that if you're the only person that your grandchild is means that they're going to manipulate me. I, I, because um, for me, when you have that emotional attachment, I can be brutally honest with them. I don't have to sugarcoat it. Because, because even, if they, if, even if I say to them something they don't want to hear, we still got a relationship. They still going to love me. They still going to be my grandchild. But it's my, I feel it's my responsibility to tell them what 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 they need to hear, that I'm not looking for no manipulation, no. They, they, uh, I got to tell them the good stuff so they'll love me. I think when the when the, when the Lord places your family with you, He gives you the responsibility to to uh, guide them the right the best way, not not just from you love them, you love them, but you love them. To, uh, and you love them enough to tell them the truth, even when, even if it's not what they want to hear. Absolutely, and like we said, primary, secondary, right? I mean, we know we know the Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many, yeah. right? So if somebody's only ever going to one person, they're not doing what the Bible says to do. You got to understand because in some situations, you may be the only one they trust to come to, mm -hmm. because the situation could be. They can't tell everybody. They want to tell you because you, you, even if you counsel them, you still may, may not. You're not going to broadcast it to everybody. Oh, so and so came and told me this, and I told them. You're not. They know you're not that kind of person that they can trust you with their secrets.
but sure. it's your responsibility to tell them the truth. And you know what? I want to stay on this for one second. I want to stay on this for one second. It is our ego that wants to be a sole source for somebody's life. So, and again, in reality, I was, I was meeting with some people over this last week, and they were telling Jacqueline and I, hey, here's, here's what's going on in our life. And we said, all right, one of the things we think you need to do is go talk to these two different kinds of people, and we're going to stay with you when those people answer you. So we're still going to be your primary source, but we're going to help you navigate the information that is coming to you. Now, in acute situations, like take my daughter. I want my daughter to come to us first, but I also need to teach her that there's resources in her life that she's allowed to go to also. And every pastor, I want to be the only source. Like, I, I, you know, there's a part of me when I hear, oh, pastor, I fall asleep listening to T.D. Jakes all night. I'm like, great. That's so good. Do you fall asleep listening to the Salem podcast all night long, too? It's like, I want to be everybody's primary source, but that's not healthy. That's not healthy. You need other voices. You need other voices than my white male voice. You need to hear other voices from other backgrounds. So it's like we should own our primary role in people's lives, but we should never make people codependent on that role. Mm -hmm. Codependency is a real issue in our culture. We have churches that are codependent on their pastor. We have kids that are codependent on their parents. We have parents that are codependent on their kids, right? And we need to make sure that we are not the soul because also if something happens to you and you were everything to that one person, they have, they have no, their, their life now, they're going to be going crazy. So there's, there's, there's a lot to that that's not just exactly so simple. Uh, we're real fast. Lena. No, I would have clarified is sometimes a great child is not asking you for help or present the problem, but is presented the problem by complaining <laughs> or saying what it's feeling. So what did you do in something like that? Directed to the the other person that is more authority about the child, the, the child, or you just give uh, in your love some kind of uh, ideas to what can be done or or what should do to even physically feel better. Yeah, I mean, again, like we have to, we have to, again, not to beat a dead horse or an alive horse here in this case, we have to use discernment. There might, there's people, Jack and I often hear people say things and it's like, we, we, you're fishing for an affirmation here. You haven't asked us. Like one of our rules is like, we, we don't want to answer people if they're not asking us something. There's just too much opinion giving when nobody asked you for it. Like recently, uh, somebody said to me, hey, I keep hanging out with this person and, you know, they, their belief system is just absolutely crazy. And I'm, I'm really discouraged because I can't figure out a way to help. And I'm like, did they ask you for help? No. Then stop trying to figure out a way to help. Yeah. They didn't ask you. So there's a point where you have to discern that. And of course, there's points where we have to be the Coast Guard and dive on into somebody's life because they're about to hurt themselves. Uh, yeah. One of the easiest ways to discern that, I think, is up front say, what are you looking for from this conversation? Are you 
looking for a shoulder to cry on and and a ear to listen and I'll pray with pray with you and pray for you um or are you are you looking for my thoughts as a, a person who prays for you on a regular basis I think that's the easiest way and people usually give the answer for what they're looking for yeah Lord Or maybe on a more positive note, you're part of the solution. Right. But there's the rest of the solution out there. No, no, that's why we said professional, like, again, you having a medical issue, I love you, I'm not answering it, you know what I mean, when it came time to figure out how to get the church out of a million and a half dollars in debt, I sat down with men in this church who have expertise in six different areas, and we said, how are we going to do this, everybody put something on the table here. When we have water in the basement, I call Stuart Walker, even if he's in Cape Cod. And I say, oh my gosh, we have a problem. And is Stuart emotionally attached to this place? Absolutely. Do I trust him to be able to be professional through that? 100% I do. So they don't have to be Christian. And, and many times they probably shouldn't be. Like, like, I did not ask Dr. Levine if he's a Christian surgeon. I want to know that he's good at doing surgery. Right? But you did have spiritual people in your life talking to you about how to handle that information. Yes. So when you're going through surgery, how do I handle, you know, sitting on a couch for three months while my wife's pregnant, right? Like <laughs> those types of situations. A wonderful season in the Dandriano household yes. that was. Yes. yes. And, but that's why you need like a support team, right? Yes. Because like I said, there's checks and balances. You don't just have one source. You can always go, of course, to your pastor and say, this is what I heard from the doctor. Can you help me discern, you know, should I get a second opinion or, you know, how does God, you know, want me to walk through this? Can you help me discern that? Um, I think you can always bring a spiritual, you know, elder or leader into it, but it doesn't always have to be the main person. Sure. Again, we, we have to be very discerning here. Like, again, if you, a there's a difference between a believing friend and a spiritual leader in your life. There's a difference there, right? And, one second, and again, Jacqueline and I consistently push people to counseling and therapy and say, we will walk through that with you if you, if you want us to. But we're not counselors or therapists or psychologists. That's not, that's not our bag. 
right? And so I think it's important for us to not offer our information in ways that makes us feel uncomfortable. And I don't think the sources necessarily have to be Christian. I think Christian friends and leaders can help us discern what sources to go to. Yes. But it doesn't always have to be a Christian source. Thank God God works through people who are not Christian. Amen? Amen. Alan. Yeah, like, again, I, Jacqueline and I agonized over these words. You have no idea how much we focus on specific words. Like, we pray that you all focus on your words the way we focus on ours. Like, the difference between, like, oh, we have two summer things going on in August. Should we call them both picnics? No, maybe we should call one a celebration and the other one. Like, we go through this. So, primary, secondary, it's the best we can do. But we never want to make secondary seem like that's wrong. We have to have a lot of sources going on. Like, we're going to tell people things right away. But eventually we need to get around to, like, if we're navigating a life situation, it's great that I got eight of my friends praying for me, but I need to call my insurance agent to figure out what to do with the fact that I just backed into my wife's car. Which goes back to the first point. Your secondary sources need to be brought. Yes, you need to take your secondary sources to a primary source. And again, I just, I want to, I want to close... Yeah, I, I got Other you. did have a question. Yes. Just fight off the tendency to want to be somebody's whole world. You never want to be somebody's whole world. It's not good for them. We want it, but we cannot be somebody's whole... I want desperately to be my daughter's whole world, but that is not healthy for Sophia. Right? And then Rob. about to get to Solomon and his wisdom shortly, so hold. Yes, it definitely does. Yeah, wisdom, wisdom does tie everything together. And working with professionalism. Again, Rob. So when I heard Bill first mention, I said, well, I can only kind of sort of talk about this because I, as you all know, I don't have no grandkids, right? <laughs> 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 However, I was a grandchild. And I remember speaking to my grandmother on a regular basis. She was like, when my mother wasn't being reasonable, and I didn't even always agree with my grandmother, she was like the voice of reason that I could go to. And there were a number of times when she spoke, I was there when she spoke to my mother and said, yeah, Enid, what's your name? What are you doing? This, you know, that didn't make any sense. So one of the things that I would do 
if I had grandchildren, or when I deal with kids and they come to me, one of my first questions is, and I agree with what everybody was saying is, well, did you talk to them about So I can first get a sense of, oh, this is what they, to rule out this is manipulation, they're trying to make me the primary, blah, blah, blah. It, did you talk to them about it? Because one of the things that I'm going to, I'm going to deal with them in love, but I also want to get as much information as is possible as I'm given whatever counsel I'm going to wind up giving. And it's always based on the fact that you love them. And, and, and as, in terms of discernment, if the child comes to you, <coughs> picking up on what Claire was saying, child comes to you, or maybe it was Jackie, one of the things you want to clarify is, is oh, so is this just going to be a venting session because you haven't spoken to them about it, but you come to me about it, so therefore I'm kind of, okay, so I'll be an heir for you. Or are you coming for some manner of advice? And then based on the love that you have and the information that you have about them and the family and all the dynamic and whoever they're talking about, then you can give godly wisdom. And one of the things that I'm doing that I do, whether it's professional or not, is while I'm busy listening and talking and, and whatnot, I'm praying. So it's like, okay, Lord, so this is what they said. Literally, I'm doing it. I'm, so so they don't think I'm crazy. But literally, <laughs> while I'm talking and while I'm listening, I'm saying, okay, Lord, that's what they said. What is that about? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get discernment real time as I'm talking to this person. Excellent. April. Push for 
things that are like weird. And you you know what I'm saying? So I think that kids now are craving that who can I talk to, who can I be safe with to tell and get a good um, good answer. Yep. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And again, we want to we want to be sources who teach people how to be resourceful. Yes? Mm -hmm. We want to be sources who teach others how to be resourceful. Yes. Right? Can both of them be used at the same time? What? Uh, the secondary as well as the primary? Of course. Okay, because recently Ron and I had an experience and it was very intense. This person got me disclosed the secret, and I'm like, Wanda, she's telling me about it now, and she showed me something. I didn't say anything, and she was waiting for my affirmation. Then I'm like, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm going to let this ride after, you know, it's none of my business, you know. In fact, I wanted to tell her, leave me alone right about now. <laughs> so I didn't buy into her. A few hours later, she got a hold of him. And she disclosed the whole secret. I mean, it was a big secret, an infectious secret. Then she comes back and says, Oh, mommy, Poppy got to share something real important for you. So I'm like, There's nothing more important than so, okay, whatever. So as I asked Ron, I said, What is it that you got to disclose to me? So he told me. And I'm like, Wow, no wonder. She took me on this ride to a place that we never found the place. <laughs> so, she got me back. For four hours straight, she disclosed every little detail. So I said, well, I can't say anything right now because he's snoring and i got to concentrate on the white lines. So... <laughs> So in that you wouldn't want your mother or your daughter to do it, and I'm not judging you, 
And, and because look at David, he was killing people and then he was still a man after God's own heart. I literally use that example. But the bottom line is, is that, so you did what you did and now you need to move past it. You don't need to justify the things that you did that were wrong. And you can apply that to any situation. A grandchild is coming to you that wants to complain about the parents who might be right or they might be wrong. But what you want to do is from your heart, give the best advice that you can, prayerfully, because in all those times of talking, I was going, okay, so what do I answer to that, Lord? This is what you said. What did you not say? Because you're praying while you're, while you're giving the advice. But she tried to use us as a buffer and to shine, to make her stuff shine. So there seems to be, and I'm a prophet here, there seems to be a large desire to talk about how are we meant to be sources for other people. Yeah. Right. This seems to be something that's hovering over the room. So here's what I want to do right now. I want us to eat. I want Jacqueline and I to pivot here and talk for a second so we can come back to this particular topic and not use all the other information we had about different things. So like, is that fair to say that where the conversation is heading here is person to person sources of information. How do we answer people? How do we discern what people need? Should we be the primary source? How do we know if we're a secondary source? This kind of stuff. Is that fair? Like, does it feel like that's where we're kind of hanging out here? So, uh, let's pray. And then no holds barred for Larry. Are they ready? All right. First of all, can we put our hands together for these guys? The guy here and Zoe. And Zoe got here first today and set up the whole room and did a whole bunch of stuff. So thank you. Zoe. Aldo and Ruthie, who run our event team, were helping coordinate this from Italy with a six-hour time difference. So. Just know when you go get your eggs and stuff that communication and resources were happening from across the pond, as they say. So. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this conversation. Uh, Father God, Jacqueline and I are unbelievably grateful for this church and how Salem just wants to know the truth, wants to do it right, wants to be walking in your path. And so we just, we thank you for this conversation. It is so eye-opening. It is so helpful. And we pray that you would guide the rest of this morning and, and guide the themes and discussions that we have moving forward so that when people come to our life, that we have the appropriate response to them, Father God. We, that's what we want. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the food. Bless the hands that prepared this meal and allow the rest of this morning to go well. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Why don't we start from those back rows and they'll go quickly. And Jacqueline and I uh, made a few adjustments here and... Uh, it turns out we're, there's, there's something that we're not going to show right now that I'm going to preach on tomorrow. So, Salem, thank you for wasting my entire week of sermon preparation. Um, but that's, that's actually wonderful. Where's Ian? We're gonna, I'm going to preach the cross, that whole diagram. I'm going to preach that tomorrow. That's going to work out really well. A um, couple of things that we want to say before we jump back in. Number one, this is, I'm speaking directly to our church now, okay? Like, ever since I've been here, and it's been a long time now, 23 years I've been here, and experiencing it in all the levels of ministry that we've been at together, we tend to want whole 
like axioms that work. So it's like, we want to know, do we do it this way or do we do it this way? Am I, am I moving out of this house and moving everything into this house? Right? And Ron was actually just uh, talking to me. And can you believe that Ron was talking to me? He doesn't talk that much, Ron. So it was a shock. And he, he, yes. There's a few things besides Jesus that we can talk a lot about. <laughs> um, and one of the things we were talking about is why, here we are talking about information. Why did God not want us to eat from the tree of information? Right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't eat from this. And then later on in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, he commends the Israelites' children by saying they can enter the promised land because they know the knowledge of good and evil. And you're like, Bible, why do you do this all of the time? And what one possibility here is that God didn't want Adam and Eve to be receiving information at a higher rate than their muscle for discernment. So it's not that he doesn't want us to know good or evil. He wants us to know good or evil. Salem, I'm sure you want me to have the knowledge of good and evil so I can lead the church. I want you all to know the knowledge of good and evil so you can be on time to church, right? Like all this stuff back and forth. That's right, man. Come on now. But, Inspire me. But what we want... <laughs> cannot do it. <laughs> cannot do it. And then maybe we just did. So who knows? Um, it's disturbing. He wants our knowledge of good and evil to grow at a slightly slower rate than our discernment. So that our discernment is always ahead of our knowledge of good and evil. And so one of the issues that we're glancing over is to the extent that we fill ourselves with information, but we're not entering the Christian practices that develop discernment in our life. It's why we feel we're at a deficit when it comes down to something as simple as somebody calling us and asking us for advice. Am I being manipulated? Am I not? Is it time for me to say exactly what to do? Is it not? Do I need to point them elsewhere? Am I the one? Am I ready for this? Is the information I'm going to give them the information they need to hear? Like, we need to enter the Christian practice that leads to joy and passion and discernment. So if you want to know how to do that, come tomorrow, because I'm now preaching on this tomorrow. We're not going to talk about that right now, but we, but that was a, was an insightful moment when Ron was like, all right, so what are we looking at here with God saying, don't eat this tree? The minute Adam and Eve receive the information that they were too immature to handle, they turn on each other, they hide from God, they destroy creation because they could not discern through the knowledge of good and evil that they had. It was beyond their spiritual gift at the moment. And so we need to be doing the work of training our discernment and growing in the spiritual gift of discernment so we can handle the complexities of what people are giving. This is, this is like anything else. If we're not training, we will <laughs> pop an Achilles tendon. The minute I can't, I just can't help myself. We'll be out on the third snap of the game. <laughs> 
I can't. That's it. I promise. That's the last one. That's the last one. You know, so we, we want to, I, I often walk away from moments saying, man, I want it to have handled that better. I want it to have said more. There's many moments like that. I'm sure you've experienced it too. And so it is our responsibility as priests, as priests in this earth to be training ourselves in the things of God, training ourselves in the good, wholesome work of the spiritual gifts, of spiritual disciplines, of being in our word, not just for a good cathartic experience, but to learn, to expand our discernment muscles so they can handle more weight. So that's a lot of this is, are you doing those things? You know, as Dan Underhill used to say when Jacqueline and I were both in the youth group, if you're a water fountain and somebody presses that button, it was back obviously before COVID when we used water fountains, if you press that button, is anything going to come out? And that's what we're talking about here. We need to fill the tank, not just with information, but with the ability to discern, when do I hit the gas? When do I hit the brake? When do we coast? When do we shift? When do we turn? Like, and on we go. So that's, that's only, we need a healthy rhythm of primary and secondary and tertiary sources. I was going to say third diary, but that's not a word. It's tertiary, right? Pretty sure it is. Thank you. It's tertiary. Um, we need to have a rhythm of these things. We can't, we don't want to be mechanical and be like, it's time for a primary source. And then we have to be in a fluent relationship with these sources, right? So we don't want to always be like that, you know, teenager who just started driving where like, you're doing all this stuff every single time and like it's so mechanical you're actually not looking at the road, right? We need to learn how to move in our life and that's going to happen through not getting it right. And uh, we want to say, we were, we were asked during breakfast, what happens when multiple healthy, even spirit-filled <laughs> primary sources are saying two or three different things? And we, we, Jacqueline and I, and, and the board, we faced this all through COVID, where we have, we have in this church a plethora of professionals, and there were people saying, hey, you, you might not want to close this second time around. Hey, you absolutely should close this second time around. You should only have this many people come. Actually, you can have a full amount of people come. And it was a lesson in, honestly, you ready? Learning to walk in courage and not fear. You've got to make a decision. And you have to trust that, you ready? Jesus is better than our good decisions. Let alone being better than our bad ones. He's going to do things with our good decisions to make them better. How much more is he going to work? What he's looking for is not correctness. He's looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness. We faithfully prayed. We faithfully talked to our elders and our trustees. We faithfully talked to medical professionals. And all of them said at the end, we'll support what you decide to do. Why are they saying that? Because we're being faithful. And we're making our best decisions all through that pandemic, right? And, and plenty of other things. So have a healthy rhythm with all of the different sources. Know what you're listening to. Know what is going into your spirit. Practice righteousness. Practice Christ-likeness. Challenge yourself. Work on this. And then make decisions and see what happens. 
that was a bad decision. Why was it a bad decision? What makes you think it was a bad decision? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you made the right decision and bad discernment is telling you it was a bad decision, but in five years you're going to realize that that was one of the best decisions you've ever made in your entire life. Learning. It's like not just decision and now we're in court and God's like right or wrong, innocent or guilty. It's a garden. It's growing. It's going to have tears. It's going to have fruit. We're looking for the full trajectory. We're not looking for any one moment. Your life is never defined by any one piece of advice you gave. The quality of your leadership as a parent, grandparent, friend, employer, employee is never in the next thing that you do. It's in the body of work that you're producing as a person. So a lot of this is just not being afraid and making a decision and then using discernment when you make those decisions. When they're good, how are you, how are you responding? When they're not, when they could have been better, how are you responding? How are you learning? How are you learning when you make a good decision? How are you learning to do a better one next time? So this is the more healthy side is we can't just get so granular that we, we don't see the unity in all of this. This is God wanting you to grow as priests to bring the good news of the kingdom of heaven everywhere you go to be. You ready? Scandalous. A manifestation of his actual presence. He knows we're going to make mistakes. It's built into the Old Testament law. How to handle mistakes is part of the law. That's why, you've heard me say this before, that's why David can say, I was blameless before you all my life. David, no you weren't. You killed a guy. But David can say, but every time I sinned, I did what the law said to do when I sinned. Because built into the law is what to do when you make a mistake. And built into the gospel is where to go when you make a mistake. Built into the gospel is mercy. So mercy's being new every morning. Mercy and grace and peace in every benediction. These are, these are God's ways of saying you're going to make mistakes, but this is part of how you're going to learn to be priests. Does that make sense? So we just have to sometimes just make them. Make them. If, if your lives, honestly, are sinking and swimming based on mine and Jacqueline's final decisions, sinking. <laughs> Get the life preservers. Throw them out, right? It's, it's, it's God teaching us how to be his children on the one hand and how to be his ministers of reconciliation on the other hand. Hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. And I run. Like I, I may not consciously be trying, but I'm not sure. Sure. You know. Look at the rich young ruler with Jesus. What must I do 
to enter eternal life. And Jesus, well, what have you done? I have followed all of the commandments. Cool. Empty your bank account. Come follow me. I didn't, I didn't want that, right? But, but he leaves. And does Jesus let him leave? Yes. Let's him leave. Do we... All right, did he go and sell all that he had? Who said, I don't know? Bingo. And that right there is teaching us the sermon. Why are we so quick to say, jerk, didn't sell? Maybe he, was, maybe he cried his way to the bank. I'd like to withdraw everything, please. You know what I'm saying? We don't know, but I think that's one of those beautiful examples where Jesus... On Monday, he's like, I will go after the one, I will leave the 99, I'll pick the darn thing up, put it on my shoulders. And then on Tuesday, when the rich young ruler goes away, he's like, let him go. And they're like, why? This makes no sense. Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your kids are going into the promised land because they know good and evil. What is wrong with you? If you're not actively reading the Bible saying, God, you're bipolar, there's medicine for this. Take some, write it again. Like... But it's, ask, it's, it's training you for discernment. And so I think what you're saying is exactly right. When you, can, when you can decide when to stop pouring your energy out, you're, you're beginning to live a very spirit-filled life. Jesus kept his energy when he had to and expended it when he had to. Lord, there are many here who are looking to be healed. We have to be going. There are times when he kept his energy in and then there were times when he said, I know somebody got healed because I felt everything leave me just now. We're going to go by ourselves to pray. And then on the next week, you're not even eating. You're so busy, they say him. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm that, that gas and break, gas and break is so important. Barbara. And um, what you were saying um, about faithless, the word that comes to me is being obedient to God. Amen. And too often, you know, we're trying to we're not here to fix things. Not everything. That's right. Especially in the spirit. That's right. And we have to pray. We do have to listen. And when you talk about discernment, I've always loved that word. I grew up on that word. Okay? You have to know, especially I'm talking about believers, us, body of Christ. We have to know when to discern. And when we don't know, you have to do like Elder Ron say. Why you listening? Talk to God. Multitask. That's exactly the I sat and listened, and I multitask. And I was not walking with God then the way I am now. I wish I was. I would have really been on point. <laughs> God used me in my mess. And when things got heated, I listened and I went and said, help me out, Lord, because you know. You know me. You know I'm a little crazy. I need help. And he did. He delivered. So obedience. Yes. Yep. I, I got a problem with um, You like it, I love it. And I've heard that so many times. I think that is so dangerous. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like the go-to for a lot of people. They just don't know what to say to you. Um, and they, they, they want to offer some suggestion or advice, but that's really not helpful. And in my situation, I had a group of friends, and we were all great. And then my life just took a nosedive. And I found myself.
myself, I would always go, you know, advice we bounce off of each other, and I found myself in a place where it took me so long to shift gears to realize I can't go to the same group. And I prayed for a way to find out, well, what do I do now? Who do I go to now? Because we, this was my base. I started coming here. And then my thinking changed. Everything shifted gears and, and over time, and I didn't even realize it. And I realized I can't go to this group for the same, those types of things now because my life has changed. And even though I was resistant to all of it, mm. it just took years to really come full circle and realize I can't do that that way anymore. I have to use this base now and then go to them. Yep. I just kind of reversed everything. It was them, then here a little bit, and now it's here, then them. So, you know, that, that's how I see a lot of So things. take that testimony. It took a long time for me to pivot, for me to do these things, right? And then, as Jacqueline was, when we were preparing this whole thing, she kept saying she was prophetically dead on because that's the direction this took where this is not just about the sources we listen to. This is about us becoming sources for other people. And that's obviously the theme of the day here. And when you can say, God taught me this over 15 years of my life, the next person to come to you and you look at them and you're like, how could you be being so right now remember god took 15 years i'm not going to try to change you by thursday when my testimony is it took him 20 years to get me here right it took my testimony to get to this point in my life was seven years in the making and then somebody comes to me and it's like i'm going to try to turn them around in one day like this is what we mean like we have to be the kind we will always be the kind of sources that look like the sources we're listening to right and when we talk about god every one of us has a slow testimony when you listen to podcasts and instagram reels and youtube shorts everything is fast but every one of us when we talk about our testimony we'll say something like it's still going <laughs> my testimony is still in process Because you're so embedded in something as your source that you feel like you're sinning, doing the wrong thing, getting wrong if you go this way. And you have to kind of get permission or be know that you're being guided by the Lord. Yep. And let's remember to not be extreme. Like you could you could move out of that house of that group, but it doesn't mean you can't visit them. It doesn't mean now they're, they're dead to you. Now, granted, there's a thousand different situations, and I promise you, there are people in your life you should never return to. <laughs> but as a general rule, you could, it has to do with how you're being influenced. I want to be, there's a lot of groups of people in my life. I don't want to be influenced by all of them, but I want to be in a lot of these groups because I'm the influencer in a lot of these groups. I'm the influenced in other groups. Is that my phone? I don't know. So... You know, just it doesn't mean we pack up and move out entirely. We 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 get we tend to be so pendulum oriented. Discernment and rich wisdom is I'm gonna remain around some of these friends, but I'm they're not going to be my influences. I'm going to be here to influence. 
right? Where do you want to go? You're, you are now the boss here. It's up to you. All right, let's talk about Solomon real quick. Uh, this is the first time this number shows up in the Bible. So, Solomon asks for what? And he doesn't ask for riches and? Death of his enemies. Death of his enemies and? That's a good memory. And long life. Now, most of us have heard sermons on Solomon didn't ask for money. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom and money. No one ever really talks about the fact that God also doesn't want us asking for long life and vengeance. Everything secular media is offering you is either long life, riches, or how to create more value for yourself than other people have for them. How to get over on, how to win over people. In one form or another, it is offering you those three things. And Solomon says, I'll take wisdom. I'm not going to ask you for long life. I'll live as long as you want me to. I'm not going to ask you for wealth. You're my riches. I'm not going to ask you for vengeance, because... Vengeance is yours, and something tells me the vengeance God takes on his enemies doesn't kill them, it turns them into saints and friends. Anyone been one of those enemies that's been turned into a saint and a friend? That was God taking vengeance on you. He took vengeance on me, and his vengeance made me a Christian. My vengeance would make you dead. Apparently Stuart's also with the excitement there. Vengeance on my enemies! His vengeance made me PB. I like that vengeance, right? So, but then Solomon, when you read his story, he doesn't connect himself very well to any primary source. And the first time this number shows up in the Bible, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon one year was... That's not a very good omen, Solomon. After this, he is the spearhead for forced labor, which we call slavery. He enslaved many different nationalities. He slept with a lot of ladies. A lot. He had like, what, three or six hundred concubines? That's a Rolodex, man. You need, you, need, you need a burner phone. That was in the day before burner phones. They had like burner chisels or something. <laughs> it falls apart for him. And we will skip a bunch of things here to say. Paul says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh. But through love serve one another. And here's the reality. It is good to ask for wisdom. Solomon says, give me wisdom to govern. But Jesus says something better than Solomon is here. So it's good to ask for wisdom to govern, but it is better to ask for love to serve. Jesus doesn't get duped by gold. Jesus doesn't pursue long life. He pursued a very short one. Jesus doesn't pursue vengeance any kind of way that anybody else in human history would pursue vengeance. His vengeance was Father forgive them for they know not what they do. So Jesus says 
there's something greater, that Solomon is on his way to something. But here's the thing. What does Solomon's life end with? Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. No matter how much you accumulate, it doesn't matter. That's how his life ends. With Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. If we indulge in these sources that Jacqueline is about to talk to us about, we will end our lives saying, I got it all. And it's going to belong to somebody else because I'm about to take my last breath. Vanity of vanities. Jesus' life doesn't end in that. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my favorite verse, if I got baptized again, that would be the verse you'd see on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, if your work is abounding in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. And he answers Ecclesiastes and says, Solomon, there's something better than wisdom, love. Does it involve wisdom? A hundred percent it does. We don't need to get granular. But wisdom to govern is a good start. It's a good discipline. But love to serve. When you're giving advice, when you're getting advice, if it's producing love and service in you or in the other person, it's a healthy source. If it's producing greed and jealousy, selfish ambition, rivalry, competition, all these things, division, it's probably not a good source and it's probably not great advice. So, Jacqueline is now going to read from the angry book of Jude. <laughs> Her favorite book of the Bible. One chapter, Paul, whoever wrote it, beats you down in Jude. So, well, so um, the one chapter in Jude is, uh, most of it is talking about the people that creep in unnoticed. And then it gives a long list of what what they what characteristics they have and the outcomes that come from following or listening to these people that are very subtle. And all throughout the Bible, you'll see that the Israelites were often um, taken in or, or uh, affected by people that crept in. That there were people that crept in unnoticed that seemed like they were of the faith. So while I was thinking about this just before I read those verses, um, I thought this morning about this story in Ezra where the people were exiled. They are excited to come back and rebuild the temple. They have this whole long song about how passionate and excited they are to do this. Um, and then it says, adversaries came and said, and listen to what they said. Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. So they look like they're, you know, people that look like they're Christians, right? People that look like they believe the same things. Um, sources that look like they're good sources at first glance, right? The leaders of Israel all got together and together said no. And then it says that this is what the people of the land did to them while they were trying to build. They discouraged them. They made them afraid to build. And they tried to frustrate their progress. Mm. And so when I read that story the other day, this morning I was thinking, we are in the process of rebuilding. We've all gone through a pandemic where we've been mostly isolated. We, many of us are affected by social media, which makes us think that we are forming relationships, but it's a cheap imitation of a relationship. Um, so, and studies have shown people feel more isolated when they're 
online a lot, when they're on social media. Um, so we're, we are isolated. Even the economy right now has people just struggling to survive, just putting in work day after day after day, but not really having like that community and, and village getting together mm. and building something together. So I thought about how first in that verse, they were working together. They were excited to build, but they were working together. And all of the elders and the leaders came together and used discernment to say, no, this, this looks like a good source, but no, we're not going to have you be a part of the building process. And so I think it's so important to have that discernment because like they said, they discourage them from building. When you're listening to a source that seems good, but they're not necessarily giving you gospel truth, right? You'll become discouraged. You'll be afraid to build. You might have anxiety or fear about your next decision, right? And try to frustrate their progress. You might feel like you can't move forward. Um, so I think that's an illustration in the Bible of why it's so important, why we need to, especially in this post-pandemic time, to realize we were affected by it. We have a lot of factors affecting us and um, causing that individualism. And we need to join together and start building together and saying no to things together. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read from Jude, the verses that, uh, sorry, right here. I'm going to read from Jude, the verses that talk through metaphors, it's actually very poetic, about the people, the sources that creep in unnoticed. So listen to what it says. We're going to start in verse 10, actually. Gotcha. Almost. Gotcha. Okay. But these people, talking about these sources that creep in unnoticed, the first thing it says, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. Hmm. So if I can't un understand it, it's not truth to me. Do you know how much we both would love to just spend two hours preaching on that yes. right now? Yes. But continue. They're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Hmm. So I, if I can understand it, I'm unreasonably just going to go right for it instinctively. No extra thought to it. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now listen to this next metaphor. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. So, so the feasts have to do with the people of God getting together and celebrating each other and celebrating God. These are people that are hidden reefs. They're there. They're feasting without fear because they know nobody's going to be able to pick them out from the crowd. They're right there with you, but they're hidden reefs. They're going to break you apart. Shepherds feeding themselves. Leaders who are looking for their own gain first. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. They look like they should have fruit, but there's, there's nothing in the ground keeping them grounded, giving mm. them the nutrition, right? They're isolated. They have their own thoughts, and there's no fruit there, even though it seems like they should. 
wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Um, you want to go on with 16? Okay, and then this list is kind of sad because I think a lot of us fall into this, if not all of us, <laughs> in some way or another. Um, verse 16. Okay, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Ian, help. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not touching this ever again for the rest of the day. Okay, so if you recognize yourself in this list, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Right, so if you're grumbling, if you're discontent, you follow your desires that are sinful, you're loudmouth boasting, or favoritism to gain advantage, you're using people. I feel like everybody just looked at me for no reason. <laughs> I just like felt the heat of everybody's eyes. Like, they, heard, they heard loudmouth. Yeah, like you know. <laughs> Good lord. It's like hot. We, we all know them. <laughs> um, what's the next verse? I, I'm, Ian knows. 17? Okay, so, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. And then this is where it says the regular things that you should be doing to help you discern unhealthy sources. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, so build yourself up in the most holy faith. That's why we have the creed. We remind ourselves, what do we believe? We come and we hear other people in the church say it, right? That's building ourselves up in the faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit, a regular rhythm of prayer. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So remind yourself of the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. For this one, I, I thought about um, not just seeing things as their immediate temporal value, but remembering that everything that happens on earth is also going to be restored in heaven, right? So, so remembering that God is going to have mercy. And then um, we'll skip to number 24, verse 24. And this, of course, is the most important thing, and we were talking about it a little bit before. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So what they're saying is even when you're doing all these things, remember, like we just said, God is the one. The, God, the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps you from stumbling and presents you blameless before his presence. So that, that's just a reminder that even when you're going through all these and, and you're gleaning from various sources that we don't have to fear because it's God who directs our paths. Um, going with your statement at the very beginning of this today about the challenge of putting your phone somewhere and, and to limit that source of 
easy to chew information, you know, because you can, through confirmation bias, which these algorithms that you're speaking of already furnish to you, even though our brains do it automatically as well, where do you see a line drawn? Because this is, whether we like it or not, society as a whole right now. Are you preaching that we should extricate ourselves from that type of environment, or is it more nuanced than that? I think we're straight up saying what God said to Adam and Eve. Be careful that you don't eat from this tree before you've eaten from the tree of life. Yeah. It's and like what we said at the beginning about the awareness that comes before discernment. You have to be aware that you're receiving the sources and then you don't just trust the truth or what they're saying as truth at face value. You have to take a second glance at it, but it's your primary sources that God's given you and that, that you surround yourself with that can help you discern that. Yeah, I guess reason I was asking it is because I look at what my own children and people that are of their age, their acceptance of information is based upon its ready availableness. Okay, so something that is hard to, dis I guess what I'm saying is as discernment, I, I look around here and not to offend anyone, but I see a lot more gray hair than I do a lot of other no hair, exactly. So we're discernment if it's coming from wisdom, like you said. Wisdom comes from our experiences that we've had. We've all made mistakes. We've all had to deal with the consequences of those mistakes. Right. But a young person, they don't have that reservoir. But what they're being told is that they don't actually need that. Right. That that's old-fashioned thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So their primary source is going to come from something that we have absolutely no control over. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've all seen this Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma, but one of the things it says right from the beginning is up until social media like starts to kick in, and we're not talking about recent social media, like in the 90s when the internet and things like that were coming alive, all of a sudden, up until that moment, the only people who were called users were drug addicts. And now we all have a username because we're users because we, we smoke this constantly. We take this constantly. So in, in some respect, I am saying there really should be like, we need to remember back to the days of like card catalogs. Like when you went to school and you looked at a card catalog, and you're like, oh my God, like my cousin who's 20 years older than me, check this book out 20 years ago, right? Like we really do have to slow down and teach our kids to stop consuming information and consume more nature. Yeah. Consume, right? We just have to. It is imperative that we have to. And like one one way that funny thing that we came up with talking about this was we have to model it as adults first and foremost. And I'm assuming if I'm any indication, we're not doing the best job modeling this as adults. Start here. If your phone was another person. Would your spouse appreciate how much time you're spending with them? How much you're touching them? How much you're... No, we'll stop there. Right? If, if, my, if my phone was another person, would Sophia and Theo feel like there's a third sibling that they're in competition with? 
you had, you see what I'm saying? I, I'll use myself as an example. How many times have I sent you a funny meme instead of engaging? I wouldn't call them all funny like the last one you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> that was just about the big O that certain team has right now. <laughs> Apparently there's one Not team in the league points. that hasn't scored points yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but do we engage in real communication? That's my point. Right. Okay, Ian, can you put... Hold on one second. Can you put the, the text picture up there for a second? You put his text up? No. So, listen to this. Listen to this. Stuart, I'm going to split some serious hairs here. I know you love hair splitting. And for the bald jokes, I'm going to split hairs here. I, I texted this to somebody. This is directly to your point. Pre-2020, and this is just an example, when somebody was not going to be at an event, I would get a text generally like this. Pastor, I won't be there tonight. I have to work late. Sorry. Since we've been isolated and just engulfed in the blue light of our phones, that same person will now say, won't be there working. Thank you. Now, in the grand scheme of things, this means little to nothing. But when you have a savior who says everything is a mustard seed that grows into something much larger than itself, this shows relational equity, invitation, narrative, history, and relationship. This is robotic. That needs to start with bro. What is that? <laughs> bro. Oh my God, you're so right. Bro, bro, right. Right. This one right here is I don't know you. I don't care about you. Thank you. Thank you for what? <laughs> and, but the funny thing is, I have watched, I've literally watched even, even email and text communication turn into two or three word infantile messages. I mean, so to your point, the, 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 the actual quality. So we, we were saying to... Jacqueline and I were saying to a couple that we were with last night that needs to learn to communicate a little bit better. Communication should be invitational, not merely informational. When you, your job, especially in a marriage, is not to offer your spouse news about what's happening. It's to invite them into what's happening. Working late, won't be home, Sorry is not a healthy text message to be sending, picking up the darn phone and saying, here's what's going on. Here's what just happened. How are we going to pivot together this evening? I'm, I'm a little stuck here. That's an invitation into my life to talk about how this is going to affect both of us, right? So literally, it seems like it's a long shot, but directly to your point, the more we consume this instantaneous information, the, the more garbage are communicating to each other is becoming it's short if it even exists at all like we don't respond anymore we don't respond anymore like i have to text people that i emailed them where are we at and i know people hate that but check your emails but th this this really is an actual this really is an actual issue the more we from the ease of a couch consume whatever our phone decides to show us at the time and get carried along like waterless clouds 
it's not just affecting our brain, our temptation, our view of the world. It's also decreasing the skill set of our interactions with each other. Yes, 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 yes. yes. and then Peter. Um, I think that... Kowalski. Yeah, I just close to this, so I might say something you were talking about, but um, I find this issue really fascinating because I think it touches upon uh, something that I have to like remind myself constantly over and over again. If we're using the idea of like sitting on the couch and being booed along anywhere, I think that like we, by like being glued to screens in our phone, we're like we're constantly trying to escape the physical place that we are. Come like on. God designed us to to have to be where we are when we are there. That's right. So if we were sitting on our couch without a TV or a phone, we probably, after 20 minutes, would get up and go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Outside of our own minds. And I think that like the, the nefariousness of our phones is that it's only with us, and it just like engages our private self. So uh, I like the, how you just personified screens to be like another partner, another child that we're giving attention to, uh, which is maybe subconsciously inferring a discontentment with our with those people in our lives. And it's so easy to not confront that, feel like you're being like productive by checking all the stuff you normally check. But I think it's, it's totally going against how God created us in a very physical way to have to be where we are when yep. we're there. To be able to sort of creatively give life to the mundane things around us is, I think, totally as, as embedded in Jesus's sort of thesis of loving your neighbor. It's like my neighbor can be really grumbly and crabby and I can not care about him, but if I have no other option, I'm going to go talk to that guy because I'm going crazy on my own. <laughs> you know, it's like all of these things that humans have made to direct us away from each other and it can feel productive, but what are we being productive about? Like stewing in our own filth? <laughs> <laughs> Industrializing the world more? I don't know. So, anyway, I just wanted to touch upon that. Preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs>
microwave, we don't like these phones for our kids. And yep. this is just how things are just progressing, like the speed of things. And sometimes just putting something in the oven and waiting for it to heat up. No, and it's a, it's a good point, too, because back, like, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the joke was Wikipedia. Right, like there's another quote in the office where Michael Scott says, Wikipedia, it's a wonderful resource because anybody can go on and put whatever they want so you know the information you're getting is the best possible information. <laughs> but the funny thing is, we, we were looking at this, Wikipedia is moving its way up the trusted sources because, and this is pathetic, but you actually have to either cite your source or say self. So at least with Wikipedia, you're looking at something knowing that, oh, this is just their opinion. With all these other scrolling forms of information, there does not need to be any sites. So Wikipedia is becoming more trustworthy. We have to pray against this now. Yes. Disagrees with I me. Know, I, know I know my phone loves me. All of a sudden, I'm looking at I'm looking at reels, and it's like, oh, oh, women can take out the garbage too. Yes, yes. Let me send that to somebody. Ron, and then we're gonna pray. Ron, and then we're gonna pray. more than I call most people. I, I appreciate that. If you can imagine. I, yes. I, I, well, I'm praying for you all. <laughs> but, but two last things. We're talking, and what we're starting to do right there, when, when, you, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's an example of us talking in shorthand. Okay, we're losing using less words. 
ideally to communicate the same information, but you cannot communicate the same information if you're using less words or the nuances mm -hmm. are left out or whatnot. Right. So one of the things that we should do is practice not being post-2020, but being more pre-2020. As Pastor Bill will tell you, when if I don't do a quick thing, I'm writing like, like little paragraphs, which is why he texted me. I do little paragraphs because if I'm trying to get someone to really understand what I'm saying, I'm not going to say it in the fewest words possible because then that's not relational. And, and I think as Jackie has said, what we're, what we're called to do is be relational, not informational. So that goes back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that's what God said. He, when, he wants us to not be dummies. He wants us to be smart. But it's not, we're not supposed to be thinking strictly only from the head. He gave us a head and a heart, and we need to be working from both. And the heart speaks on the relational piece, and the head speaks on the knowledge piece. you got to be using both at the same time. All right, let's stand to our feet. We, uh, we do not have to do any work for October's part two. It's all there. We barely talked about anything we had today, so that's good. That is good. Let's pray real fast. Heavenly Father, we thank you first and foremost that you are our eternal source. And we just pray that you protect us. We pray that you would guide us through the world that we live in. We do not want to have a cynical view of the world that we live in and think it's worse than other times. We want to live in it and know that you are still calling this world good, that you still have a plan and a purpose for it, that we matter in it as long as we're alive and we're living on it and breathing on it. And I pray that we would not get caught up in the fatalism around us, but that we would be salt and light, that we would be bright, that we would be hopeful, and that our Christian practices would be rekindled again. Our Christian practices would be renewed, that we would help each other along in our practice of righteousness, our practice of Christ-likeness. And I pray that the virtue would increase, that our discernment would increase, and that we would learn how to use these amazing gifts and tools for the kingdom of God and have them not be used against us. And so I thank you that you, you know this. You knew this time was coming. You are well prepared for it. And I pray that you would give us the confidence, the wisdom, the skill set, and the people around us to help us navigate this in a way that sheds light on the kingdom of God. And so we thank you for this. Pray that everybody has a blessed day today. I pray that, pray that sermon and, and service is on fire tomorrow and that we just continue to be unified as one holy Catholic and apostolic church. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.